0: Before I read to you from Malachi, the third chapter, I'm going to read to you a couple of other scriptures. So we talked last week about um, contentment, about being content. We talked about the difference between being content and being complacent, and that it takes faith to find contentment in the Lord, but complacency is really uh, produced by fear just takes a little fear for us to become complacent Um, but faith is what is required for us to learn contentment that we we trust God in all things and this week I want to talk to you about having eyes to see that we need to be a people that have eyes to see God God has promised that he is with us that he never leaves us he never forsakes us and we need to learn to see him in expected ways. There's ways we expect to see God, but I want want you to understand, I want to draw your attention today that God doesn't always show up in expected ways. That God very often shows up in unexpected ways. In fact, the promise of Romans 8.28, this promise that, that recorded in Romans, uh, Paul's letter to the Romans, it says, and we know that God works all things together for good to those who love him and are the called according to his purpose. That this promise of Romans eight twenty eight that God works all things together for good to those who love him is a promise that God is present in all things as he's working for our good and for his glory. God never works for our good apart from working for his glory. And God never works for his glory apart from working for our good. As his children, we can always rest assured that the glory of God is for our goodness and our good, any good that God brings to our life is for his glory. And that God is present in our life in unexpected and, and in unexpected as well as expected ways. And sometimes we experience things in life that may not seem good, they may not seem glorious, but we have the promise that God is present with us. And when God is present, we have no reason to fear. Amen? And so when Joseph was deciding to secretly put away Mary because she was pregnant with the child of another, The angel came to Joseph, and he tells Joseph to take Mary as his wife, and this is what the angel said, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And he tells Joseph that the name of that child is to be called Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. This is recorded for us in Matthew's gospel in the first chapter. So let me quote to you, Matthew chapter 1, verses 22 and 23. It says, so all the way, all this was done, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated, God with us. So these are the words of the prophet Isaiah for telling the coming of the Christ child. And Isaiah pinned these words, they're pinned in his prophecy in Isaiah 714. Therefore, the Lord Himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Emmanuel, God with us. God is with us. The question is: do we have eyes to see him? Are we able to see God? not only in the ways that we expect to see Him, but can you see God in the unexpected ways as well? So that's what we want to talk about today. God doesn't always show up when or how we think He should. God does not move according to our time, but God always moves according to His time, His will, and His purpose. And God often shows up in the most unexpected and unassuming ways. And he shows up however he shows up. God always shows up in power and glory. So you might not think of Jesus, the little baby, in a manger, showing up with power and glory. But I promise you the power and the glory of God resided in that manger with that Christ child. So God always is present with power and with glory. But if we don't have eyes to see, we may miss him or we may mistake his glory for weakness. It might be pretty easy to look at a baby laying in a manger and if somebody walked up to you and said, see that baby laying in that manger there, that's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. You need to go... You might go, really? If he's the king of kings, then why is he in an animal stable laying in a manger? Why isn't he in a palace surrounded by armies? Because that's the way our worldly, our fleshly, our carnal mind works. We have preconceived ideas of how God has to work and how God must move. And yes, the scripture gives us clear definition of, of how God will work and how God will move and what God will do and what God won't do. But how many of you guys have figured out that every possible scenario you may encounter in life, you can't find chapter and verse for it. But every possible scenario you may encounter in life You can find the principle, you can find the truth, you can find the way, the wisdom of God for it in the scripture. So God shows up, but he doesn't always show up the way that we think he should or the the way we would want him to. So Malachi chapter 3, let's read the first four verses. Malachi is a really short book. It's one of the most powerful books in the Bible. And when we read, when we begin reading in Malachi chapter 3, I want you to know that Malachi chapter 3 verse 1 answers the question that, that is right before us in Malachi chapter 2 verse 17. When the prophet writes, and he delights in them, or... Where is the god of justice? He says you say this. This is God's indictment upon the people. You say this, everyone does evil is good in the sight everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord and he delights in them. The people were saying this. Why were they saying this? They were saying this because they weren't seeing God working They were only seeing and discerning things based on their natural comprehension. Well, it looks like the evil prosper. It looks like the evil can do what they want and get away with it, and there's never any penalty for them. There's never any consequence for them. Where is the God of justice? This is the question. The people are asking of God And they're indicting God. And here's God's answer. Malachi chapter 3 verse 1. Behold, I send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. Even the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. "'Behold, he is coming,' says the Lord of hosts. "'But who can endure the day of his coming? "'And who can stand when he appears? "'For he is like a refiner's fire and a launderer's soap. "'He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. "'He will purify the sons of Levi "'and purge them as gold and silver.'" that they may offer to the Lord an offering in righteousness. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasant to the Lord as in the days of old, as in former years. He will come and appear and be seen by those who seek him and delight in him. Who will see God? Those who. Who seek Him and those who delight in him? I'm talking about right now, Now there's coming a day when God will judge the living and the dead, the Bible says, and all will stand before Him, both great and small, sinner and saint. The saints won't be judged for their sin because the wrath of God fell on Jesus Christ and he took upon himself the weight of our sin and the weight of God's judgment for our sin. But those who have rejected Christ, those who have rejected the sacrifice of Jesus, those who have rejected him, they will be judged for their sin. There's coming a day when every man and every woman, every human being will stand in the presence of God. But I'm talking about right now. I'm not talking about your ability to see God one day when you stand before Him and He is on His judgment seat judging the living and the dead. Because when that day comes, you're not going to be worried about what's happening here and now. When that day comes, you're not going to be concerned about this life and the cares of this world and the things that you have to deal with on a daily basis. I'm talking about your ability to see God right now. Right where you are. Right in the midst of the situation you're dealing with right now. And Malachi is writing to a people who have come out of captivity. Who rebuilt a temple. Who rebuilt a city. Who began worshiping God again. In the temple, they experienced restoration and revival, but now have sunk back into idolatry and adultery. They have turned from God, and now they are accusing God and indicting God. And God, in his mercy, through the prophet, is declaring truth to the people. It's a hard truth. And he tells them, I send my messenger. Now Malachi penned these words about 500 years before the birth of Jesus. And in answer to their question, where is the God of justice? Here's God's answer that we now know because we have the luxury of hindsight. Hindsight. So we're 2,000 years on the other side of the birth of Jesus. These words were written 500 years before the birth of Jesus. And here's how God answered his people who were indicting him when they said, where is the God of justice? How many of you have ever asked that question? I mean, as we watch the, the, the events unfold before our eyes on the news... I mean, I sat there the other day and I watched live coverage of this shooting in in California. It's, it's It's amazing that you don't have to read about it in the newspaper several days later to get the details. You can just click a button on your computer and now you can watch the helicopter filming the event live before your very eyes. And you might watch that. And there might be people, and I guarantee you there are, you can read them all day long, who are saying, where is the God of justice? Solomon writes in Ecclesiastes, there's nothing new under the sun. Men have been complaining about the same things since the beginning of time. Men have made the same complaints against God In the beginning, as you and I make against him today. Sometimes we say it out loud. Sometimes we think it in our hearts. But we've all asked this question, where's the God of justice? Now, I want you to see something. It's important for us to see this and to to understand. This question was asked, and God sent the answer to the question immediately. He said, here's the answer. I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. Now, if we read that, we might think, hey, the prophet said that God is going to suddenly come to his temple. He's going to make things right. They're not going to be able to stand in his presence. They're not going to be able to, to endure before him. And they wait, and they wait, and they wait. But the whole time they're waiting, guess what they're doing? They're still... In their idolatry, they're still in their sinfulness. We want God, we want the God of justice to come and make things right, but we don't want to repent from our idolatry, our adultery. In America, we want the God of justice to stop the violence, to stop the injustice, to stop the inequity. And we can make a list of things that we want God to do, but are we willing to repent of our sin? Are we willing to stop? murdering babies on the altar of convenience? Are we willing to stop practicing spiritual idolatry and spiritual adultery? Are we willing to stop calling evil good and good evil? Are we willing to submit to this word, to this scripture, to this God? Are we? The answer is obvious. Some are, some aren't some are, many aren't. But yet we still ask the question, where's the God of justice? So here, the prophet Malachi writes this and he writes these words, the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. Do you know how God defines suddenly? 500 years. (laughs) Now, that's not very comforting to us, is it? Because if suddenly for God means 500 years, then God, what, what does that mean for my situation and my circumstance? I'm not going to live 500 years. Now, I will point out, God, didn't, God did say suddenly, but he didn't, he didn't put a time frame on that. suddenly tells us how he's going to come, but suddenly doesn't necessarily define how long it's going to take for that sudden moment to get there. When we read things like this, because this is where we are in our lives as we live life here on the ground, we, we God, I, I, I need it now, I want it now. It has to be now, God. And I'm with you. But I just in truth, have to point out that God doesn't work according to our timetable. He works according to his timetable. So in the children of Israel, in Malachi's day, his timetable was 500 years in the future. The God of justice will do what is just. You can be sure of that. The wicked, though they may seem to prosper today, though they may seem to get away scot-free, nuh ain't gonna happen. And you should rest assured of that. You shouldn't necessarily rejoice in the demise of the wicked, but you should trust that God is a just God, and we should pray for the wicked That they would turn from their wicked ways, repent of their sinfulness, and turn to God. Because if they don't, they may have gotten away with a lot on this earth, but I want you to realize that eternally, cosmically, it's not good for them if they persist in their rejection of God. So, He will come suddenly to his temple. This messenger of the covenant. This is speaking of Christ. In whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But the prophet asked this question, but who can stand? Who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like the launderer's soap. He'll burn out all of the impurities. He'll bleach out all the stains. Who can stand? Who can endure? Now, let's turn over to Luke's gospel, the gospel of Luke chapter 3. We're going to go from Malachi chapter 3 to Luke chapter 3. Wait, is that right? Luke chapter 2, Luke chapter 2, not 3. So sorry, I put the wrong number down there for the... Computer person, Luke chapter two verse twenty one. Let's read together. I want to read to you um, Luke chapter two verse twenty one through verse forty. Luke twenty one, Luke two twenty one, and when and when the eight days were completed for the circumcision of the child, his name was called Jesus the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the in the womb now when the days of her purification according to the law of moses were completed they brought him to jerusalem to present him to the lord as as it is written in the law of the lord every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtledoves or two young pigeons. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord... Now you are letting your servant depart in peace, according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel. Israel, and for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Now there was one, Anna, a Providence, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher, and she was of great age, and had lived with a husband seven years from her virginity, and this woman was a widow of about eighty four years. <clears throat> who did not depart from the temple, but served God with fasting and prayer day and night. And coming in that instant, she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke of him to all those who looked for the redemption in Jerusalem. So when they had performed all these things according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own city, Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. So Jesus, on the eighth day, is circumcised. He's given his name, and then 40 days later, when a Jewish woman had a son, she had to wait 40 days for her purification. If she had a baby girl, she had to wait 80 days for her purification. But after the days of purification, after her 40 days of purification, they brought Jesus into the temple because he was the firstborn son. And according to the law of Moses, every firstborn son had to be presented, had to be given, had to be offered to the Lord. And when they came for that offering to the Lord, they would redeem the child back. So if it was an animal, they had to give the animal to the Lord. Firstborn animal goes to the Lord. Firstborn son goes to the Lord, but they redeem it back. It required a sacrifice of a lamb and a turtle dove and two pigeons or two turtle doves or two pigeons unless you were poor. So we know that Joseph and Mary were poor because they could not afford to bring a lamb offer. God made provision in the law that if you were poor and you did not have the means to bring a lamb you could bring two turtle doves or two pigeons. And this is what the scripture says that Joseph and Mary brought which signifies that they were they were poor. They were not people of means. Again you would think that if God's going to cause the king of kings to be born to a family on earth surely he would Caused him to be born to a royal family. A family of means. A family that could give him everything he deserved. After all, he is the king of kings. But that's not what God did. We might look for a king to have different parents. To be raised under different circumstances. We might think a king should have different parents. And should be raised under different circumstances. But God said no. No. The king of kings is going to be born to a poor, anonymous family that is so common, they just blend into the woodwork. There is nothing about this family that would cause them to stand out. They were just like so many of the other countless poor families with firstborn sons named Jesus, by the way. Do you know Jesus was a very common name? Every Jewish mother prayed that her son would be Jesus or Yahshua. Because it means God saved. And every Jewish mother hoped that her son would be the Messiah. And unbeknownst to Mary, not planned by her, Not looked for by her, but by the grace of God, he chose Mary to be the womb that would carry the Son of God and birth the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Not in a kingly home, not in a kingly manner, but in the poorest of homes and in the most humble of manners, the King of glory came forth. And here is this poor mother and this poor father carrying their newborn baby into the temple to fulfill the law of Moses. And no doubt there are countless people coming in and coming out, bringing their sacrifices, bringing their offerings. The temple was a very busy place. They offered two sacrifices, one in the morning, and one in the evening, every day. Without fail, until the temple was torn down. So they bring the baby Jesus in, just a common family, just a common baby, wrapped in swaddling cloths, wrapped in just just, just plain. And as Mary and Joseph walked to the temple, as they walked up the steps, as they went into the courts, I wonder how many people walked by Joseph and Mary and the baby Jesus and didn't give any notice whatsoever. Not just another mother and father bringing their son to be presented to God. Must be a firstborn. But here is this man by the name of Simeon. The Bible calls him a just and devout man. A man who was waiting for the consolation of Israel, which is a title for the Messiah. He was waiting for the Messiah. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. Do you know why some people can see and some people can't see? Do you know what the difference is? There's your answer right there. The reason Simeon could see was because the Holy Spirit was upon him. Because when the Holy Spirit came upon him, you know what the Holy Spirit did? The Holy Spirit gave him eyes to see, gave him ears to hear. He was a man that could see and a man that could hear. And not only did the Holy Spirit give him eyes to see and ears to hear, but this was a man who turned his eyes and turned his ears to the Spirit of God. So I believe there are men and women, children of God, who have eyes to see and ears to hear, but they've allowed the vision and the images of the world and the noise of the world to distract their vision and to drown out their hearing that they can only hear the noise that the world is emitting. They can only see the things that their eyes have been drawn to and distracted to instead of focused on. The writer of Hebrews says, Keeping your eyes on Jesus, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. This man, Simeon, was looking unto Jesus. God gave him a promise, and he looked and he listened. For the fulfillment of that promise. Because God told him. He said you won't go home. You won't leave this earth. You will not die. Until you see the consolation of Israel. Your eyes will see the Messiah. Your ears will hear the Messiah. And Simeon could see. And Simeon could hear. Because the Holy Spirit was upon him. If you are a Christian, if you profess faith in Jesus, if you are trusting in Jesus, that means the Holy Spirit is upon you. If you've been born again, that means the Holy Spirit is not just upon you, but the Holy Spirit lives in you. And if the Holy Spirit lives in you, you have eyes to see and you have ears to hear. The question is, what are you looking at and what are you looking for? What are you listening to and what are you listening for? Simeon and Anna were looking for and listening for the coming of the Messiah. And there were countless people that walked by the baby Jesus and never knew he was the Messiah because there was nothing about him that looked like a Messiah. Now, if they would have brought that baby in a royal entourage surrounded by armed soldiers with glory and splendor and wealth overflowing, people would have stopped and said, Who is this? And someone would have said, this is the Messiah. They would have lined the streets, they would have thronged together, and they would have believed that this was indeed the Messiah because the Messiah looked like everything they thought he should look like. But on this day, the Messiah came suddenly into his temple, and most of the people in his temple missed him because he didn't look like a Messiah. He didn't sound like a Messiah. There was nothing about him that seemed to indicate this is God. This is the messenger of the covenant. This is the answer to the question, where is the God of justice? He just walked into the temple, carried by his mother. That's where he is. Yeah, but he doesn't look like the God of justice. Yeah, because you don't have eyes to see. Because you have presupposed and you have predetermined what God is going to look like and what God is going to sound like. Even though the scripture tells you what he's going to look like and what he's going to sound like, you still don't believe it. Because messiahs aren't babies, they're kings. Messiahs aren't born in weakness, they're born in power and riches. Messiahs aren't like that. I mean, who would be afraid of that? Who 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 would be worried about that? Give me a Messiah with an army. Give me a Messiah that looks like the Hulk. Give me a Messiah that looks like he can take down the empire. May the force be with him. December 17th. It's coming. Not the Messiah, Star Wars. Messiah's already here. (laughs) We have a better force that's already come. Do you have eyes to see? That same Messiah that came suddenly into his temple in the form of a little baby, guess where he is now? The Bible says he dwells in you. He lives in you by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that he utterly defeated his enemies and he ascended to the throne on high and he received the kingdom from his father. And all authority has been given to him in in heaven and on earth. And he made an open shame, a humiliation of his enemies. He triumphed over them at the cross. Now think about the cross. Think about the image of the cross. That looked like pure victory, didn't it? I mean, the body of the Lord Jesus beat to a bloody pulp hanging on that that wooden stake. It didn't even look like a human form hanging there. It didn't look like victory. It didn't sound like victory. None of his disciples thought it was victory. They all ran for their lives. They all hid for their lives. They thought they had lost everything because this guy, they thought that was going to usher in the kingdom. They just saw him hung on a cross and cruelly and shamefully murdered. And even when he was raised from the dead, they didn't believe it. They couldn't believe it. And you think God might just say, to heck with you guys. I don't know what more I can do to make you believe it. But you know what? That's not what God did. God, in his grace, came to them, revealed himself to them, and gave them the faith to believe, to trust so much so that a transformation took place. And on the day of Pentecost, when they were filled, when the Holy Spirit came to reside on the inside of them, they came down from that upper room and they, Peter preached a sermon and he didn't care that day whether they took him and crucified him that very day. He had such boldness. Where did that boldness come from? It came from the Messiah who lived on the inside of him. What changed about him? He was able to see what he was not able to see. He was able to hear what he was not previously able to hear. Who did that? God did that. So do you have to be Peter or do you have to be Paul or do you have to be some well-known, famous person? Do you have to earn that place to be able to be a person that has eyes to see and ears to hear? No, you can't earn that place. Who do you have to be? You have to be an object of God's grace. Well, how do I know I'm an object of God's grace? I'll give you a clue. We saw it in Malachi. If you seek me, if you delight in me, we need to be people that have eyes to see God. We need to be people that have ears to hear. Here's what Paul writes in Ephesians, the first chapter. Paul prays this very thing for the church. He prayed it for the church at Ephesus. He prayed it for you and I in Taylor, Texas. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17, Paul says, I make mention of you in my prayers, verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe, who trust, according to the working of his mighty power. Or turn over a page to Ephesians chapter 3 and look at verse, look at verse 21. I'm sorry, Ephesians chapter 3. Oh, where am I? Uh, verse eight: To me, who am less than all the saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Verse nine: And make known, and make all see, what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Christ Jesus, to make all see that you may see that you may know that you may hope. Verse 14 says, for this reason, I bow my knee to the father of our Lord Jesus, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might, through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That you may see, that you may know, that you may Comprehend what God has done for you in Christ Jesus. We must have eyes and hearts and minds to see Him. Malachi says He will come suddenly to His temple. Most were not looking for a baby with his parents. They were looking for a king with his army. But God didn't show up the way many thought that he would or that he should. Church, you need to know this. God is not going to show up always the way you think he should and the way you think he would. But he will always show up. Why? Because he is always present he is never not present he can't not be present or he would be a liar he is the God that will never leave you or forsake you that means he doesn't leave earth and go back to heaven and when he gets better he comes back to earth he doesn't do that with your life either there's some people who believe that God just comes and goes from their life depending on how worthy they are well when I get worthy again God will come back to me no If he ever left you, then he's not God and he's not the God of this Bible. If he he ever left you, he was never there to begin with because once he comes to you, once he takes up residence, once you become the dwelling place of his spirit, he doesn't leave you. That means wherever you go, even though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, guess what? He is with you in power and in glory. And the light, That is to guide you is not the light that your circumstances might emit for you. It is the light of God who is the light of men. We sang a song today that talked about the endless day. Do you know why the Bible describes heaven in that language? I don't know if there's going to be never darkness. I mean, people said, well, does that mean there's not going to be any sun or the moon or we're not going to be able to see the stars? Well, the stars aren't going to go away. They're still going to be there. We'll obviously still be able to see them. But is it going to look the same? I I don't know. But here's what I do know about the endless day. The reason the Bible talks about the end of darkness and an endless day is because guess what happens when you're in utter darkness? What can you not do? You can't see. When there's no light, you cannot see. Jesus is called the light of men. He came to those who sat in darkness to give them light so that they may see. That's a good thing. You might still be able to stargaze in heaven, but I promise you there will never be a time when you will not be able to see him, to know him, to hear him. You will never walk in darkness because he is the light. There is no sun to go down and there is no darkness to rise up because he is the light, he is the sun, he is the eternal light, he is the eternal day. In his presence, there will never be darkness. Here's what God wants you to understand right now. If you are in Christ, you are in his presence. And his presence is in you. And you don't have to live in and walk in darkness. You don't have to look to the darkness. You don't have to focus on the darkness. You can look unto Jesus, who is the light. You can focus unto Jesus, who is the light. You might walk through the valley of shadow, but listen, the light is with you to guide you on your path. He never leaves you. He never forsakes you. The question is, do you have eyes to see him? What are you looking for? What are you seeking after. What are you delighting in? For those who seek him, for those who delight in him, he will be seen and he will be found. I believe many today are looking for their own version of God to show up. And one day, many will find that he has already come in ways unexpected and ways unnoticed. One day, there is a day coming when all will see his coming and all will know that at the name of Jesus, Paul writes this in his letter to the Philippians, every knee will bow in heaven on earth and under the earth and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's Philippians two ten and 11. The prophet asks who can endure the day of his coming. Who can stand when he appears. When Mary walked through the temple with Jesus, people weren't falling out because they couldn't stand in his presence. But in a way of speaking, Simeon and Anna came to that Christ child, and they recognized him for who he was, and they bowed before him in worship. They lifted their hearts in rejoicing and praise, and they humbled themselves, and they confessed who this child was. They confessed his lordship, his kingship. They confessed that he indeed is the Messiah. For many, his coming seemed to mean little or nothing. But in the presence of God, there is none able to stand in the presence of his glory. None able to endure his coming except those that he has redeemed and washed by the blood of his sacrifice. John writes this, and this love has been perfected, that in the day of judgment we have confidence, we have boldness, because as he is, so are we in this world. Our confidence is not in our ability to be righteous. Our confidence is in the righteous one, the only one who was ever able to walk in perfect righteousness. And our acknowledgement of that is an acknowledgement of our failing, It's an acknowledgement of our own sinfulness and that the only hope we have is to trust in the righteous one or the righteousness of another. His coming changed the world. His coming is still changing the world. His coming past, present, and future is changing the world. I pray that it is changing you. In the day of his coming, by the blood of Jesus, we have this boldness, we have this confidence because we have been freed from fear by the perfect love made manifest for us in Christ. The prophet says, those who seek him, those who delight in him, he will suddenly appear. When Christ appeared to you, not physically, but by faith, when you came to the place of realizing that you had seen Jesus, that you have come into the presence of Jesus, in that moment of his appearing in you, to you, by faith, this is what Paul writes about in Galatians. He said, there came a day when God separated me from my mother's womb and it pleased God to reveal Christ in me. Paul said, one day I'm just riding my donkey on my way to kill Christians and boom! Jesus didn't just appear to me, but he was revealed in me. And it changed the apostle Paul from a persecutor of the faith to a preacher and a teacher of the faith that ultimately cost him his life. Christ came suddenly. He said to Paul, you now will be my temple. And he came suddenly to his temple and it changed Paul. The Bible says you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. When did Christ come to you? When did Christ take up residence in you? When did you become the temple of the Holy Spirit? Do you realize that? Do you realize who you are? Do you have eyes to see that? Do you have ears to hear that? Do you have a heart to know that? That you are the temple of the Holy Spirit? Are you looking for Him? Are you listening for Him? Are you seeking to know Him? Look for him in the most obvious places. Look for him in his word, in the scriptures. Look for him in the unexpected places. Look for him in the lowest as well as the highest places of your life because he's there. Look for him in the midst of your trials and your tribulations, in the midst of your struggles and your challenges. Look for him because he's there. Look for him in every place, for he will be seen by those who have eyes to see him. Listen for him. As you read and pray and study his word, listen for him. As you walk among the flowers, listen for him. As you watch the raging storm, as you sit in the quietness of the morning, listen for him. Listen for his small, still voice to thunder his will in your heart. Listen for him to allow his voice to drown out all the others that would seek to silence him in your heart. We listen to the wrong things. We give place to the wrong things. We look to the wrong things. Drown out those things that are trying to silence him in your heart and listen, listen for him. For he cannot be silenced and he will not stop speaking. Listen, for he will be heard by those who have ears to hear. The prophet Jeremiah writes these words. And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart. Jeremiah twenty nine thirteen. You will come to know him as you look for him and listen for him. You will seek him and he will be found by you if you'll seek him. Of all people on the face of the earth, the people of God should be the people that have eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to know. We must be. Don't harden your heart. Don't close your eyes. Don't close your ears because God is not showing up the way you expect him to, the way you want him to, the way you think he should. Open your eyes and open your ears and open your heart and begin to look for God in the unexpected ways, in the unexpected places, in the darkest places. Look for the light to break forth because he is the light that will shine in the midst of your darkness. God is working by his spirit in and through all things. God, in his grace, will not allow his children to remain blind and deaf and hardened. He will use all means according to his grace and glory to give us seeing eyes and hearing ears and knowing hearts. This is the good news of the gospel. I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, but now I see. Praise God for his grace that gives us eyes to see. Let's all stand. So I challenge you today to see Christ in unexpected places, in unassuming forms. I challenge you to look for his glory in all things, even the things that seem less than glorious. I challenge you to trust him in all things. That trust will be built as you look for him and listen for him and come to know him in all things. Even now, I challenge you to trust him. Father in heaven, heal our blind eyes. Open our deaf ears and break our hard hearts. Give us grace and glory to see you and to hear you and to know you in all things. Lord, in this time of year when we celebrate your coming Give us the grace to look for and expect your coming each and every day, especially that you would continuously make manifest the reality of your presence, the reality of your coming to us by the Holy Spirit, the reality of you residing in us, present with us, dwelling in us by the power of your Spirit. I pray that we would experience your coming each and every day. We pray this for your glory. We pray this that in the glorious name of the Son of God, Lord, that we would be a people that would bring glory and honor to that name. We thank you for the privilege that you give to us to come to the throne of grace, to call upon you in that name. We ask this, yes, God, for our good, but most importantly, we ask it for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.